Good morning, everybody, and good morning, Chris Byrne. Good morning, Richard Gottlieb, and welcome to the Playground Podcast. We're so glad you're listening to us, and uh, sit back, because we've got some great stuff to talk about today. At least there's some good news for the toy business right now. It looks like the uh, the List 4 tariffs are on hold, at least for the foreseeable future, so that's good news for Q4. Yeah, let's, let's explain uh, just what that uh, List uh, 4 is, and that was uh, tariffs are already in place on Chinese raw materials, and Really, the only uh, folks that were being affected in the toy industry were were people who were buying raw materials from China to make toys, ironically, in the United States. And uh, I believe Aaron's putty... Like our friend Crazy Aaron. Crazy Aaron was affected by that (laughs) because he, God bless him, makes it over here, uh, but he needed raw materials from China to do it. So he is, to my knowledge, the only person I've met who was affected by the, the tariffs. But... Uh, there was a threat of up to 25% tariffs uh, on uh, Chinese-made goods, which was going to affect um, probably over 90% of the You're pretty industry. much 88 to 90%, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so the president announced in Japan at the uh, summit... Right, the G20. G20, that he is not... Uh, for now, what did he say exactly? Well, they're on hold for now. They're reopening talks with China, and there's, there's uh, hope that... Uh, uh, that we're going to get to the deal we, we, we need to get to, which is, which would make sense. But it's just like for now, at least the, the nail-biting of the toy industry that was happening in last month certainly is is at least relieved a little bit. So everyone can take a breath except for Crazy Aaron. Right. <laughs> Still... Unfortunately, but he's, uh, he's already too. he's already adjusted his uh, his uh, his prices for that. So it's it's not it's not going to incur additional you know incremental stuff. And speaking of crazy Aaron, I was just out in Chicago and there was a store there and there were kids like buying this stuff like crazy off a display. It was great. So. Yeah, but kids they love putty, they love <laughs> slime. I mean, it's uh, it's just uh, an interesting generation of children. So, so speaking of retail, that's what we really want to talk about this morning. So uh, you can take a deep breath. Your tariffs aren't going up in the next uh, foreseeable future, uh, though that could change, of course. But we wanted to talk a little bit about retail today. Yeah, you know, Chris, I, I wrote a, a couple of articles for Global Toy News um, last week about Toys R Us uh, opening two stores, uh, announcing the announcement, the opening of two stores. And uh, it got some press uh, got a very surprising amount of press, and I believe the uh, the announcement was made at the uh, toy conference in Minneapolis, um, and um, and of course it raises the question: uh, Is it a news story? Is um, I mean, if it was Joe's Toys, right? Like two, 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 two ten thousand square foot stores is not you know going to make much of a, a blip on the mar- on the market, right? And so in my articles, I really uh, questioned. Uh, why this was a story, and and then made the point that this is it. It kind of obscures, I think, the two big questions we really should be talking about. And and one is, is there a place anymore in the United States for a, a big national toy chain? And two, if there is, who is it? <laughs> and know. if we could answer that, <laughs> well, we're going to try. We, we're going we're we're to try. try. <laughs> we're going to try. So, first of all, Chris, I just wanted your opinion. Um, you know, um, this is the first time in decades we haven't had a leading toy retailer. Let's forget the size of Toys R Us for a minute. I mean, prior to Toys R Us, FAO Schwartz was the the marquee place. Right. They set the standard. Uh, for toy selection, etc. Uh, Toys R Us usurped FAO um, 
maybe not so much in terms of selection, but in terms of just sheer volume and this kind of <clears throat> mass market experience. Right. Uh, but this would be the first time since the 1950s, to my knowledge, right. that there's no national toy chain. And just make one more point before you respond, Chris. <laughs> I would also say that what's important about all this is when there was a national chain, Toys R Us, uh, it prevented the growth of the mom and pop industry. So if not a national chain, there wasn't a national presence of toy stores. Right. All right. Well, I mean, Toys R Us began in the post-World World War years. Uh, it was supposed to be a toy supermarket for the people coming back from, you know, the, the baby boomers, really. It was the toy supermarket. So, And, and they always had the, the least expensive disposable diapers all the way at the back of the store. Right. So, right. So right. in order right. to, so every week, mom had to go there because she was saving a lot on on diapers. So you've got the kid in the cart; and they're running through. And how else did kids learn about toys? There was there were three channels of television, and and there was the the weekly trip to Toys R Us. So that's how kids got to know about that. As retailing has changed, and the internet's come in, and different, uh, you know, the rise of Walmart, Target, you know. They, they, they basically, well, Toys R Us effectively put things, people like Lionel Leisure and Kitty City and all of those out of business as, they, as they, I was going to say, well, as they metastasized across, <laughs> across the- For want of a better word. For want of a better word across the country. And it became a destination. And, and by the end of it, though, it was, it was more uh, a great memory than people were going there. It's like, when was the last time you went to Toys R Us? Oh, I love Toys R Us. Well, when was the last time you went? I don't remember. Well, I, I think that maybe that I should- um Re, restate the question in, in, in this way is um, uh, when, when was the last time children had ready availability to a true toy store experience in their zip code, for want of a better word? Because there are some toy deserts in zip codes <laughs> around the country oh, yeah. right now. Uh, so I, I guess my question to you, Chris, is, is there... Not as just is there a place for a national toy chain? Do we do we need a national toy chain? Does the industry need it, and do consumers and kids need it? Well, I, I think when you've got when you've got the the dominance of Walmart and Target right now, and and especially when there's a super Walmart or a super Target where mom is also doing her grocery shopping uh, on a weekly basis, certain places like. Longview, Texas, and Ella J. Georgia, where I've right. been in the in the Walmart. You know that there there are several aisles of toys that kids can see while they're there, and they're usually adjacent to the electronics, and so it's it becomes that same sort of like exciting experience. While mom and dad are you know buying potatoes, you can you can check out what the toys are. But do you think it's exciting? I mean, um, I don't know. I, I I feel like a great toy store is uh, a family experience. You're you're going there for no really functional reason, right? Uh, I mean, yeah, you want to buy a present maybe or a toy, but mostly it's it's uh, to be surrounded by toys and for a minute get away from the world. Right. Uh, if I'm at Walmart, and nothing against Walmart, but I'm also in there buying beans and, sure. and uh, a laundry basket. And, and so it's very utilitarian and, and functional. Uh, and so now I'm in the toy department. And so the reason the family went was not for the toy experience. They went to the store. 
Right, they yeah. went to the store, and, and you've got something. For the five, six, seven-year-olds, still, those, even those few aisles, comparatively few aisles at Walmart, that's still a pretty, if you're, if you're five, six, seven, you're kind of small, and, and that's still quite a, quite a great experience. But I, I think um, if that is your experience of, of a toy store, I think it's kind of sad in a way because um, it is a truncated uh, amount of product. There's, there's right. not as many toys. Oh, by no means. In terms of variety. And that, and this is what I find is um, uh, what disturbs me is that a Walmart and a Target, uh, rightfully I think, are going to carry the toys that are seen on television, sure. that are promoted, and so what that does is leaves out the delightful and the surprising, right? Uh, and and uh, I don't think you get that. So you don't get that, and so kids aren't that. You know, you and when we go to Germany, we go to the toy show, and there's more than a million unique toys on right. display. <laughs> And, and Chris, I mean, when you go into Walmart, how many unique toys are we? 7,000, 8,000? I don't know how many. I don't toys. even think that many. I, yeah. I think, you know, probably 3,500 or so, yeah. So I have this very, if I'm a child, uh, my sense of what the toy industry is, and this is not good for the toy industry. Right. Is very limited. And I think that's not good. Oh, I, I think it's definitely not good. Where Where is that discovery? Where is that walking through the aisles and seeing things? When we were kids, we went to... Boys five and ten in Wilmington, Delaware, and and we could we could walk up and down the aisles and see models and balls and bubbles and all of those things and see what we wanted to spend our allowance money on. Uh, kids don't have that experience today, but increasingly you've got smaller mom and pop stores. There's the Game Chest in Orange County in California that has is very experiential. We've got Camp here in New York. It's very experiential. Uh, we've got these these ways to try and reintroduce that experience for today's kids. So how does that happen? Uh, so going back to our question, uh, is there room for a national toy chain? Uh, and if there is, who? Right. And if not now, when? Right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, if not, then what? What takes its place? You know. Right. I I think that I think there is. Room for it, I think. I think it would have to be some kind of really. We've been everybody's talking about the experiential of uh, retailing process right now. I think there would have to be something like that. The challenge is when you devote space to that, your your, your revenue per square foot is going to drop because you're devoting space to space to that. So it's it's. Uh, I think you have to like throw the whole toy supermarket concept out the window, and that's just a putting. Putting stuff on uh, on shelves and, and, and rethink the retail experience. Well, you know, I, I personally think a, a big piece is uh, curation. Uh, who who really does the best job of selecting toys? And which which brings me to the second question: Who? And I would just like to to mention this this retailer mastermind right in Canada. In Canada, which has over a hundred stores, I, I think. Yeah, uh, and um, they got a bunch. Yeah. And they're doing really well. <laughs> and and um, what I've heard people say is, if you own a toy store, go to Mastermind, see what they're doing, and and, and buy what what they're carrying. That, right. that they really have it going on, and and, and they have been successful. So. Uh, have you heard anything about them coming into the U.S.? I've heard rumors that they want that they want to try and take the the model that they've created and and bring it into the U.S. And uh, it's not going to happen overnight. It's a it's a big deal. But I but I definitely think if you look at how toys have grown, 
how toy stores have grown, they don't start out with 700 stores. They start out with a few strategically placed and then based on that success grow, like Smith's in, the, in Ireland and the UK, I mean, and in, in England. Um, well, let's talk about them for a minute. Um, Smith's uh, is, uh, I believe, 110 stores. Something roughly. like that. They are, uh, again, you're right, Irish company. Right. Uh, <laughs> made it big in England. Yeah. Uh, and is now on the continent. They purchased uh, some of the Toys R Us stores. They, they did. Do you, do you recall what countries was that? I, I, I Germany, don't recall, but, but Germany and France are... are maybe are, Belgium, throw Belgium in there. The Benelux countries. I get to say yeah. Benelux. Yeah, I've always liked to say the Benelux countries. <laughs> uh, but you beat me to it. Uh, Benelux, Benelux. Um, so. And they show up. You say it three times. They, <laughs> right, show, they up. show up. They're here now. Uh, so anyway... Um, so they're phenomenally successful. Another company uh, in England, the the Entertainer, the Entertainer, uh, which is um, uh, I think um, uh, similar in number, uh, I believe, or maybe a little, yeah, 163 stores, right? Uh, and uh, they've been highly successful. So there's examples of people who who have been successful, of course, in other countries, but. It, you know, it would be really cool to see them come over here and, and bring their, their model. Right, exactly. The, the, and, and when we talked to John Bulch a few w- weeks ago, he was talking about some of the, the things that they do just to make the experience better, such as a, a, a step up to the, to the register for little kids so that they can actually pay themselves. Well, so let me ask you a question. Um, here is this huge gap in the American market. Toys R Us is gone. And I'll grant you, Amazon's taking share, and Target's taking share, and so is Walmart. But why aren't any of these companies making a move? I'm, I'm not hearing... I mean, I, I thought I would hear a lot of noise out of the specialty industry mm-hmm. in terms of local folks taking advantage of this to open more stuff. It may be happening. I'm not hearing it. Uh, I, I had really thought that the Learning Express stores, the franchise stores, right. that they would be very active. Uh, because of all the uh, the empty zip codes, I'm not. I mean, maybe I just haven't heard it. Have right. you heard anything? I haven't, and the, I think part of the challenge is is an inherent challenge in the toy industry. Margins are margins are very narrow right now, or or very tight, and it's hard to it's hard to generate. You have to generate the investment revenue, uh, show a return. Uh, you're going to be up against uh, Walmart and Amazon and Target, who are going to compete with you on price. So so what I see around the country are these little toy stores that are that are specializing in sort of not the most mainstream toys. I was just on Navy Pier in Chicago a couple of weeks ago, and there's a little toy store there. And the things kids were buying were Aaron's Putty, uh, you know, manipulatives, uh, just different different things that were very high margin, but not not that expensive that they could spend their own money their own money on. Well um uh, let's just hope uh, that this happens. A- another uh, company I think could make a huge market in the United States is uh, Toys R Us Asia. Oh, they've done very well. Uh, they have uh, like around 450 stores across Asia, many of them in China. They're opening another 60 stores this year. Um, brilliant, brilliant management uh, if you go into a Toys R Us store uh, in Asia, you you feel like you've just been thrown back uh, to a time when Toys R Us was a dynamic retailer, and they are in part owned by Lian Fung, right? Uh, which is um, 
wow, they're just a powerhouse in terms of sourcing. Right, and uh, manufacturing, and, and, and they're, they're huge. And I think one of the things when you go in those Toys R Us stores in Asia is you're, it's sort of a riot of color and, and different promotions, and there's so much to be stimulating, and especially like the one in Hong Kong, which is the one I'm most familiar with. You just see families walking through there with kids on a weekend. I mean, that, that was what Toys R Us used to be in the United States. It used to be a destination. Well, my, my feeling was that the people who are managing Toys R Us in Asia love toys. It shows in the stores. Uh, whereas I always felt there was a very large disconnect between Toys R Us management and, and toys, uh, that it was an investment. They were managing an investment. Right. Well, there were, some, there were some really great merchants there who really, who really love toys. But overall, well, I, I agree with you. Yeah. I'm talking over the last few years. Yeah. I mean, well, no. since the, the leverage buyout. Right. And, that's and what I'm referring to. Not and, the old days. Right. And so there, there were still some people there who were trying, who were fighting for the toys. But, but I do think that there was, uh, when they had so much debt that they had to service, that, was the, that really killed became, the innovation. Became the focus. Yeah. It, so, so staying alive and... and the inability to go public and the inability to get out from under that debt load, that's really what, what killed it. Well, Charles Lazarus loved toys, and, and it showed, and it showed in, in the, I think, the wonderful product mix. He would have them buy products that were marginal in terms of numbers, but really helped to create the, the, you know, the, the sum of the parts is bigger than the whole. Right. And, and that was gone because then they began studying every skew and, and was it going to be a profitable when really it's, it's like the whole thing, you know, it's, it's all these pieces put together. What, what does it all add up to? And I think they've missed that. Right. And, and I think one of the things that, that cl- classic <laughs> Toys R Us had was that they had, the, they had the revenue coming in from all the heavily TV advertised toys, all of the things. That they, and that's, that's back when margins were 50% or right. more. Right. <laughs> back when, uh, so, so that they had, the, they had the pockets to take a gander on something that if it, if it turned out to be really hot, they could, they could make money on the law. They mitigated their losses. It was a whole, it was a whole balancing act. And I think, I think Charles Lazarus was, was a genius at that part of uh, the business as well. You know, Chris, um, continuing with, with uh, Toys R Us, um, I have found this whole situation with the True Kids brands. And just let me just right. for a second, True Kids brands, T-R-U, one word, kids, brands, and I guess the TRU is Toys R Us. Uh, Think? <laughs> if I was a detective, I was. <laughs> Very and, smart. <laughs> uh, since uh, I first saw Jeffrey the Giraffe show up at uh, Dallas, what, two years? Year not last year, but the year before last. Right. And I remember thinking at the time I didn't know whether to hug him or punch him in the face. <laughs> <laughs> have to reach up for that one. Yes. Uh, and uh, because I was so annoyed that we had just gone through the bankruptcy. And then here he is waving at everybody. And, and at the show, uh, Toys R Us had, a, I think, an exhibit exhibition space. remember talking to them, and it was a lot of big talk. And then there was talk. They went into uh, the Kroger stores. Right. Uh, with, with a store within a store. Store within a store. Uh, they were going to go into Shopco. With a store within a store, and, right. and uh, fortunately, did not do that because Shopco went bankrupt. Right, and uh, I'd, I'd heard they were going to stop and shop, and that they were trying to to put these stores within stores in places people were already going. Right, and and then we heard that the uh, well Kroger didn't renew, so that 
would tell you something. And then we, we began hearing about bringing the chain back, a lot of stores. Um, and then we, then the last thing we heard was two, two stores, 10,000 square feet. Right, which, which a few months before had been six stores, 10,000 square feet. So Right. And, 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 and so uh, in puzzling this out, I, I read an article uh, in Ad Week magazine uh, and uh, and by the way, the the article's name is Toys R Us Could Fill a Retail Void, but Only After Reinvention. That's the name of the article. Right. Uh, it's written by Risa Lacey. Um, and I, I want to give you this quote. It, uh, Risa Lacey uh, quotes uh, a woman named Sucharita Kodali, vice president and principal analyst with Forrester Research. And, and she says... I don't think that people who have picked up the licensing on the cheap, and she means of Toys R Us, right. are intending to substantially reinvent the brand. I think they're intending to milk it for its last worth for another season or two without having to be encumbered by the debt. Uh, so this is, I think, a pretty devastating statement and because um, Toys R Us keeps saying they're not ready even to talk details on these two stores. Right. So I guess the question, Chris, is um, what's going on? Well, I, I don't know. I've been talking to a lot of manufacturers. And after tariffs, it's been a hot topic. And we've talked about, <laughs> we've talked about here, it is, here it is June 2019, and there are no orders. So where, where is the product going to come from? You don't need that much to fill two 10,000-square-foot 10, stores. Perhaps it's a start. I mean, things have to start small. They have to, have to show that they're out there. What's the value of the TRU brand? Right now, it's been gone for now. This will be the second holiday that it's that it's completely gone. We saw the same thing with KB Toys, which was KB. They tried to bring back, but it, it doesn't have a resonant brand with a consumer. So maybe it's a pop up store, but the Party City stores didn't really. Toy City didn't really work all that well. Uh, I yeah. don't believe that's coming back this year. Well, you know, you can't kind of do it. And a pop-up store, at least in toys, you can do it. I think you can do a pop-up store on Halloween. Right. Uh, you can do a pop-up store and other things. But the need for a broad array of toys is so great. Uh, but, you know, we're, we're getting our hearts broken a little bit. You know, KB talked very big. Right. Nothing happened. Toys R Us uh, talked big and nothing happening. I think that speaks to two things. One, I think it, it speaks to the fact that it's not easy. <laughs> uh, and and uh, two, I think that um, it says something about these brands that uh, there is no nostalgia for KB. No. And I, it's possible there hadn't been any nostalgia for Toys R Us even when it was around. Well, I, I think that, that, that nostalgia isn't going to carry more weight than 30% less expensive uh, for, for our parent. And uh, on the positive side, so, so maybe to disagree with the analyst a little bit, this is a multi-year long-term strategy. They basically, as, the, as the, the article says, they have to reinvent what does Toys R Us mean, and they have to reestablish it. And the question is, will the consumers go for it? We see the trend toward experiential retail. Can they do that? Is that what they're going to do? We just don't know at this point. Well, uh, the author uses these terms in the article. I, I was, I was so many negative terms. I picked them up: relic, damaged goods, brand hangover, angry suppliers, and stiffed. Uh, these were were used in, in the article. And the article, the tone of the article, didn't expect a reinvention. 
Right. I mean, that if you have the same people who took the company into bankruptcy now doing this, why would there be anticipation that something new is going to happen? Right. I, and, and I don't know. I don't, and we, and we don't know because they, they haven't said anything. The assumption is that these 10,000 square foot stores are going to be somewhat like, you know, a larger KB was in a mall. Have they said where they're going to be? I don't no. even think they've said where they're going to be. They haven't be. said where they're going to be. So it's, a, it's, it's out there in the ether. I would be surprised that they will open these two stores this year. I just think just from, from getting inventory at this point, I mean, inventory allocations are done. So you're not really going to say, oh, Walmart, I'm going to take, you know, several thousand pieces away from you <laughs> to, right. to put them in Toys right. R Us. <laughs> right. Um, so anyway, I, I think this is um, concerned because, again, I, I think it, it takes up, we're talking about it. Right. We could be talking about a lot of more positive things. The industry, this, the industry is talking about it. The industry does need to continue to create those retail experiences. We certainly know that there's a lot with experiential retailing out there. There's the family entertainment centers that both Hasbro and Mattel have done. There's a Nerf experience that's that's coming. Uh, but what's missing is that little opportunity at a major retailer for a small manufacturer to get a toehold in the industry. Well, I would just like to finish up by saying that if you are out there and you're a retailer and you've got plans, <laughs> and you would like to share it with Chris and I, we would, uh, we would enjoy uh, hearing from you. you we would definitely would, because we think that people are, people are scrambling to figure out how are we going to reinvent retail, and, and we're, we're hopeful that we're going to hear it as well. Yeah, so we would like to hear from you. Okay, so, Richard, so you opened your big mouth and you asked people to share information with us. How are they going to do that? <laughs> okay, they're going to email, uh, at least they can email me at info at globaltoyexperts.com. Dot com or Richard at GlobalToyExperts.com. You can contact me directly. And, and the best idea, we'll get you a tin of Crazy Aaron's putty. <laughs> yeah. We'll have to talk to Crazy Aaron about that. And I probably have some at home, but, uh, but yeah, definitely. So thank you for listening. This is the Playground Podcast. Be sure to join us next time and uh, share us with your friends. Bye-bye, everybody.